was when he left Vietnam. Sergeant Cooper's fingerprints were all over the knife. His prints were also found on the clothing of Mrs. Jackson and Mrs. Green. DNA from particles of skin found under the nails of Mrs. Jackson were matched to Sergeant Cooper. Strands of his hair were found at the murder scene. The murder weapon itself was discovered hidden in the attic of Cooper's house. So were pathetic love letters he had written to Tanya Jackson, returned unopened. You have seen unspeakable photographs of what Sergeant Cooper did to the three women. Once they were dead, he painted the women's faces with ghoulish-looking blue paint. He painted their chests and stomachs. It is gruesome and twisted. As I said, the worst murders I have ever encountered. You know that there can be only one verdict. That verdict is guilty. Put this monster down. Suddenly, Sergeant Ellis Cooper rose from his seat at the defendant's table. The courtroom audience gasped. He was six feet four and powerfully built. At age 55, his waist was still 32 inches, just as it had been when he enlisted in the Army at 18. He was wearing his dress greens, and the medals on his chest included a purple heart, a distinguished service cross, and a silver star. He looked impressive, even under the circumstances of the murder trial, and then he spoke in a clear, booming voice. I didn't kill Tanya Jackson, or any of those poor women. I never went inside the house that night. I didn't paint any bodies blue. I've never killed anyone, except for my country. I didn't kill those women. I'm innocent. I'm a war hero, for God's sake. Sergeant Cooper hurtled the wooden gate at the front of the courtroom. He was on Mark Sherman in seconds, knocking him to the floor, punching him in the face and chest. You liar! Liar! Why are you trying to kill me? When the courtroom marshals finally pulled Cooper away, the prosecutor's shirt and jacket were torn, his face bloodied. Mark Sherman struggled to his feet, and then he turned back to the jury. Need I say more? The verdict is guilty. Put this monster down. Chapter 2 The real killers had taken a small risk by attending the final day of the trial in North Carolina. They wanted to see the end of this. Couldn't miss it. Thomas Starkey was the team leader, and the former Army Ranger Colonel still looked the part, walked the walk, and talked the talk. Brownlee Harris was his number two, and he remained deferential to Colonel Starkey, just as it had been in Vietnam, just as it would always be until the day one, or more likely both of them, died. Warren Griffin was still the kid, which seemed marginally funny since he was 49 years old now. The jury had come in with a verdict of guilty less than two and a half hours after they were sent out to deliberate. Sergeant Ellis Cooper was going to be executed for murder by the state of North Carolina. The district attorney had done a brilliant job of convicting the wrong man. The three killers piled into a dark blue suburban parked on one of the narrow side streets near the courthouse. Thomas Starkey started up the big car. Anybody hungry? he asked. Thirsty, said Harris. Horny, <laughs> said Griffin and snorted out one of his goofy laughs. Let's get something to eat and drink, and then maybe we'll get into some trouble with the ladies. What do you say? To celebrate our great victory today.
To us, shouted Colonel Starkey as he drove down the street away from the courthouse. To the three blind mice. Part One. The Last Case. Chapter Three. I came down to breakfast about seven that morning and joined Nana and the kids around the kitchen table. With little Alex starting to walk, things were back in lockdown mode in the kitchen. Plastic safety locks, latches, and outlet caps were everywhere. The sound of kid chatter, spoons clattering in cereal bowls, and Damon coaching his baby brother in the art of blowing raspberries made the kitchen almost as noisy as a precinct house on a Saturday night. The kids were eating some kind of puffed-up chocolate-flavored Oreo cereal and Hershey's chocolate milk. Just the thought of all that chocolate at seven in the morning made me shiver. Nana and I had eggs over easy and 12-grain toast. Now, isn't this nice, I said as I sat down to my coffee and eggs. I'm not even going to spoil it by commenting on the chocoholic breakfast two of my precious children are eating for their morning's nourishment. You just did comment, said Janny, never at a loss. I winked at her. She couldn't spoil my mood today. The killer known as the mastermind had been captured and was now spending his days at a maximum security prison in Colorado. My 12-year-old, Damon, continued to blossom. As a student, as well as a singer with the Washington Boys Choir, Janny had taken up oil painting, and she was keeping a journal that contained some pretty good scribbling and cartoons for a girl her age. Little Alex's personality was beginning to emerge. He was a sweet boy, just starting to walk at 13 months. I had met a woman detective recently, Jamila Hughes, and I wanted to spend more time with her.